Hello and welcome to another episode of The Lowdown. Today I am absolutely delighted to be joined by the UEFA A licensed candidate coach, Chris Somersault. Chris is also an avid Spurs fan and does some performance analysis and recruitment consultancy work at Inside Market. Chris is here today to discuss all things Tottenham Hotspur. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here. Chris, to begin, where did this love for Spurs come from? Oh, I don't know. No, I do. It's a, I, I'd say, I wouldn't say it's a love. It's more of a labour of love. But it came through a family. My uh, my dad's a Tottenham fan. My, my granddad was a Tottenham fan. Uh, granddad was born within a stone's throw of Whitehall Lane. Um, his first game was in like the 1930s, I think. So like before we were even good in the first place. And uh, yeah, my dad first game in the 60s, my first game in the 90s. It's just a family thing. And, uh, you know, it's 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 uh it's very deep inside you know and obviously I work in football now and, and separating Tottenham as a fan and Tottenham as a as a supposed expert um it's difficult but yeah I've I, I you know love the club I travel home and away European games I was you know I was in, in Amsterdam for the semi-final a couple of years ago and obviously the final in Madrid which didn't go away uh yeah, so he's sort of embedded within me. And even now, living in Edinburgh, Scotland, I uh, I still will be um, renewing my season ticket when fans are allowed back in and trying to get into as many games as I possibly can. Because, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm proper coys. <laughs> That's brilliant. But, um, you know, as a Chelsea fan myself, I wouldn't have too many Spurs supporting mates. But ironically, the few that I do have, they do mention when I asked them that same question, their love for Spurs, it always kind of resonates, as we were saying off camera, begins with a certain individual player, be it Ozzy Ardiles, Jimmy Greaves, Glenn Hoddle, um, David Ginola, most recent years, Gareth Bale. Why are individuals more remembered at Tottenham and perhaps not so many teams? I think it's because a lot of time, you know, a lot of the time, we've never been like a dominant force in terms of league titles. We've never had that dominant team, so to speak. We've had, you know, me growing up, it was like David Ginola. He was the only reason why you went to Tottenham and, you know, in the, in the late 90s because he was the only player who could do something interesting and, uh, yeah, and, and get, get you off your seat. So, yeah, it is, it is, it is an interesting thing. And obviously, we've had our, our cup successes, but they have always you know, generally been on the, off the back of someone's brilliance. Our 1991 FA Cup, last FA Cup we won, just before my my time like going to the games work. That was all about Paul Gascoigne. You know, he just absolutely dragged us a pretty mediocre team, which was falling apart, you know, through through to the final and and, and he got injured in the in the final, he did his ACL, obviously we won it. But I think that's it. And Spurs have this, I guess, a history of of trying to play with style and being entertainers and, and we've had those sort of maverick footballers who've perhaps propped up more average players um and uh and yeah you know my my granddad you know, would talk about like Danny Blanche Flower, Jimmy Greaves, my dad loved Jimmy Greaves, but there was Glenn Hoddle, Chris Waddle, then you got Gascoigne and then yeah for me it was like Ginola, Teddy Sheringham to a certain extent. And uh yeah I guess in recent years it has been a bit more about the team. We've had fantastic players, but it's been trying to pick your favourite one because we've had a group of really good players. And unfortunately, a trophy just sort of eluded that group of players. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think, um, yeah, definitely in the past, we've had an in, a sort of a, a focus on brilliant individuals who, who entertain. And then you look at that shift in the narrative, so to speak, um, the Harry Redknapp years at Spurs and Pochettino's five-year cycle. How... Did the match day experience going down to White Hart Lane, how was that drastically different to what it was as a youngster growing up, as you said, looking forward to watching the likes of Ginla or a Gascoigne? That's a good question. Because well, when, when I started going, you'd hear people talk about Tottenham being a big club, being a big club, cups, you know, the, the 80s and 60s and, uh, and success. But you never you always kind of doubted it in your mind he's like well we're mid-table every year there's and I said you only got like David Ginola to keep you vaguely interested and then there was a shift and uh, you know in terms of where we started becoming a bit more of a serious club and it happened I think it happened before Harry Redknapp to be honest um you know I guess uh 
Martin Yol took us to, to fifth and, and sixth, got to Europe. And I, I, it's difficult to call it a progression because we've had a few sort of bumps in the road. You know, we won a trophy of Wander Ramos, but then we had two points to make games under him. And that's when Redknapp came in. But yeah, you know, we, I mean, I was never a huge fan of Redknapp as a sort of a, 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 a like a coach and tactician, but the team was entertaining. They, um, we played good football, but there was the, a switch, a very real switch, I think, where Tottenham fans started to believe that we were, again, a big club. And that was, I think, when we beat Inter Milan 3-1 at home. Everyone remembers Bale's hat-trick a few weeks before in the San Siro. We lost 4-3. And that actually game perpetuated, that, that game in, you know, the 4-3 the perpetuated this notion that Tottenham were a, a team of uh, one individual who still lost the game. But then we beat into 3-1 the while lane a few weeks ago, a few weeks after, and Bayo absolutely tore Michael apart. And but the first goal we scored, it was Modric was, you know, it going to the midfield and played a lovely little through ball to Van der Vaart. And I just remember that was the switch for me where you thought, actually Tottenham are starting to get back to where, you know, maybe I hate to say where we belong, but where, you know, where we've been in the past, where we were doing doing some interesting things so that was the real sort of switch moment and again we had some pumps in the road you know because that was we didn't get back into the Champions League for a, for a few seasons after that but I think fans and, and myself you know we started believing in ourselves a bit more and you know we got AVB and we finished fourth but didn't get to the Champions League because a certain team from West London managed to, to fluke a Champions League in, in Munich uh, uh, but yeah and I think Pochettino coming in, he accelerated that, you know, even you know, when he came in in 2014, if you'd have said it within five years, you'd be in a Champions League final, I'd been like, all right, yeah, calm down. Let's, mm-hmm. let's just try and get to, get to your Europa League final first or just win a League Cup or something like that, get back in the Champions League. But um, he accelerated that process and it's sort of at a point of no return now. We've got this massive new stadium, a sort of massive profile, you know, throughout Europe. I'd say massive, you know, we're, we're a well-known club. Obviously, everyone knows us for Harry Kane and, and Son and all that, but we've not got the trophies to show for it, but we are treated like a big club. And I think the fans expect like a big club, even though we've still got a few constraints compared to our the, the teams we're trying to compete with. Um, so, yeah, that's a long long way of saying, you know, we've I think we've uh, changed our profile in the last few years. Apparently so, even from a Chelsea perspective, I can definitely attest to that. But um, I suppose bringing it forward to the current day under Mourinho, and you have that quote, in the beginner's mind there are many possibilities, in the expert's mind there are a few. We had Mourinho after his United stint just before he took the reins at Tottenham speaking about Charles Darwin, the evolution of man, how he was a changed man himself, how he had to adapt himself to new ideas. Do you see, <laughs> I think I know your answer already on this one, do you see a changed Mourinho at Spurs? Oh, that, that, I've been backed into a corner here, haven't I? I mean, when he came in, he, uh, he, you know, he did say these things about change of style. And, and at first I was vaguely hopeful, you know, because Giles Sacramento is his, you know, a new assistant coach for me. He's always had like Marie Farrier and, his like trusted backroom staff. And I thought, okay, this is, this is interesting. Let, let's hope we're going to have, um, you know, let's hope he actually does what he says for once. Cause we know he's like, he, he will say things for, for, you know, for the camera and he's all about optics and trying to, you know, you have to sort of read bit, bit between the lines of him sometimes, but ultimately, no, we've not seen a great change in style from, from, from Mourinho. Yes. We have seen games where we've been, let's say attacking, uh, we, you know, when I say attacking, it, you know, it, it, because of the quality we've got, we have to be on the attack some games. So some teams just give us the ball, and uh, and I, I have question marks over whether we are as coached as well as we were under Pochettino in terms of when we have the ball and manipulating opposition. But as we know, as soon as you come up against anyone who's vaguely decent, and I say vaguely decent, we did it to Arsenal the other day, who aren't a brilliant team. They're you know, a decent team. They're an improving team. Um, they certainly thought the Arsenal of old and we went to the Emirates and played like we were battling relegation and we've done that to so many teams and yes we picked up some results we've also not picked up results in those games and it's been pretty dreadful 
So, and we're 18 months into to his stint. There is no discernible style of play other than we will, we know what we're going to do against a, a big team where we're going to sit back, we're going to drop everyone back in their own half and hope for Kane and Son to do something special on the break, which um, for me is sort of a gross mismanagement of their these two wonderful footballers who should be close to the opposition of goal as, as, as often as possible. But ultimately, he's, he was brought in, despite what he said about change of style, he was brought in to win trophies. That was the last thing. I reject this uh, that notion that Pochettino didn't have this winner's mentality or didn't have that, that last thing to, to, to pick up trophies for us. I just think ultimately he, 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 went, he gambled on trying to win a big trophy. He got fairly close. Um, we, we did okay in the FA Cups. We lost a couple of semifinals. And I don't think it was down to any sort of systemic mindset, attitude, mentality issues. I just think it was, we didn't always get the rub of the green. And I know that's a bit of a cop-out answer. But Mourinho came in to change that. You immediately saw all the Spurs social media, the Amazon documentary is about winning, is about mentality. And like the mentality of the Pochettino was as solid as I've ever seen Tottenham, was as, as the resilient and the, you know, as focused as you could find. And I think, the, I think that possibly rubbed the Spurs players up the wrong way. But yeah, he's talked about trophies and winning. And we're 18 months in, we've not got a dominant style of play. We've not got an entertaining style of play. We've not got an effective style of play. Because I think lots of Spurs fans would have said, okay, let's just suck it up. And, you know, if he's going to win something. And yes, we're in a League Cup final in a couple of the weeks' time. But, I mean, we're playing Man City. It's, it's going to be a very, very tough game to win. But even if we do win it, is it worth all that we've had to sort of suffer in the last years. When I say suffer, it's, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, we're not getting relegated or anything. But, and I don't think it is. Uh, and I fully expect Man City to win because they are just a very, very good team. And then we'll be back to square one, you know, just aiming for the top four, which it's, it's going to be very difficult to, to get in there. Uh, we've got a reasonably difficult run in. We could end up at the end of the season, fifth or sixth, with no trophies. And you can't tell me after 18 months that that is worth it, particularly as no one's enjoying the football. So, yeah, I know that's a bit of a downer answer. I, I, as a whole, I'm quite positive about the future of the club. I really am. You know, I think we've got the infrastructure in place and the sort of profile now that we can kick on with some smart decisions. But at the moment, I just think we're, we're being sort of held back. And um, I just don't think 18 months in, anyone can just claim that he's been... A success. Of course. And I suppose from a stylistic point of view, what are the main, I suppose, discernible changes in the style of play and formation-wise even between Pochettino and Spurs, what Mourinho's side are doing now? I mean, I guess in terms of the system, the 4-2-3-1, we played that a lot with um, in the Pochettino. And when, when Jose started, he, you know, he, in his first game, he started with a 4-2-3-1, but Aurier was really high up on the right. Ben Davis would tuck in and on as a sort of a, a left centre-back uh, and with the aim of using sort of his, his progressive passing, which is sort of falling off a cliff a little bit, Ben Davis, because a couple of years ago, he was, he was pretty good in that role. And it was actually similar to Tottenham's 17-18 team under Poch. But in terms of the style, it's, it's very different. Um, you know, obviously Pochettino came in and immediately got to work on a sort of progressive possession um, team where it wasn't, it certainly wasn't uh, a sort of Guardiola type possession game. It was, you know, it, it, it was a bit less risk on the ball. Uh, we would move it forward quickly and we would counter press very quickly and effectively. Um, and that, you know, the first, first season, 14-15, we played with sort of quite an ineffective central midfield. You didn't quite go to plan, but I think that season was a bit about building his principles play. And I don't think it was, we changed next season. I think the 15-16 season where it took off was where that style of play amongst a group of players really took hold. Um, then sort of Dembele came back into the team because he'd sort of been on the naughty step the season before because I think he was playing up a bit. And things took off from there and we were dominating nearly all teams in their half with the ball. Um, pressing see, aggressively, you know, we we weren't a team that sort of set pressing traps or anything. We were just it was sort of a man-to-man -man press, high up, forced long balls, 
we'd pick up the ball at the back because Vertonghen and Alderweireld were so, so like imperious at the back. And then we'd come back at you. And it was just this sort of, it was like we'd put teams in a vice. We'd, we'd squeeze the life out of them. And some days we were highly entertaining. Some days we were more functional. Some days we just would squeeze the life out of teams and, and finish, you know, you'd come away thinking, oh, we've not played very well then. You look at the stats and we did like 25 shots or something. You're like, okay, this is this is a really good team here. Uh, I think over time, Pochettino, he he adapted because people said he never had a plan B, which was nonsense because we adapted constantly under him. That season after we went to a back three, played a three, four, three in a lot of games. Um with like Delhi and Ericsson as sort of inside forwards, still with the same sort of dominant style of, you know, progressive possession, get it in the other half and just keep it there and, you know, heavy pressing, just just force teams. They don't only have one option, play a long ball back over the top and we'd have it again. Um, And what we found that season was we had a few problems with certain teams. We could not contain the sort of the German style counter press. So early you know, even that that early Klopp Liverpool team, which was a flawed team in many respects, but they would dominate us consistently because it was just not a compatible. Our style was not compatible with that. You know, to, to, to sort of to, to nullify it, and we really struggled to buy Leverkusen in the Champions League that season. So seventeen eighteen, he adapted again. We played, um, we beat um, Liverpool at Wembley on the counter attack, beating four one. We sat back a little bit deeper, certainly not parking the bus style. You know, we, we've had periods of possession. We did that to Borussia Dortmund, beat them 3-1 at Wembley, beat Real Madrid 3-1 at Wembley. So we were adapting as a team. Um, but I think that was where the team really peaked, that 2017, you know, the, you know between 2016 and 2018. And then we started sort of falling away a little bit, which was obviously covered up hugely by our amazing run to the Champions League final. But... You know, ultimately, the, the, the goal was always to dominate games, to play on the front foot. If we were pushed back, we weren't pushed back for long. Um, we would adapt to play a bit more counter-attacking in certain situations. We did that a little bit in the Champions League run as well. Um, but overall, the style was very clear. We would look to dominate most opponents and, and the players knew it inside out. And with, with Jose Mourinho, despite what he said about a change style, we've not done that. We are more comfortable in dropping off. He said this season, I don't want them to drop off. I want them to go press, but they don't do it. And I'm, you're never quite sure if he's just lying through his teeth. But in terms of, you know, we are sort of flip-flopping from one week. Like one week we play against, you know, Fulham. A few weeks ago, we tried to have the ball. You know, West Brom and, you know, teams in the, the Arthur League. And then we play against any team who's vaguely, vaguely good. We sit back, we drop off. I just don't think it has consistent messages and players are confused. There's no sort of, automations in our attacking process it's very much relying on individuals figuring things out when you've got Kane some you know players like that they can do it but even then you, you find you, you're going to run up against the brick wall sometimes and um so yeah I, I think we've sort of unlearned a lot of Pochettino's methods and I think we were relying on some of those sort of automations even in the early part of Jose Mourinho so yeah, I think we've seen a bit of a backward step in style um, in in the last year or so. And just from a fan perspective, they're not you know, fans aren't really enjoying it. They are enjoying it when we go out and just when like Bale, Sun, Kane do do their thing. And like we scored a few goals recently in some in some games, but I don't I don't watch it and see it as a coach process. I see it as very much as an individually led individual led process where he's just saying good players go out and play. Um, which I think at the top level now just just doesn't cut it. So yeah, that's a bit of a brief history of Pochettino and and and, uh, and now Jose. <laughs> I think for me, where the issue is mainly as a Chelsea fan, remembering the Mourinho years, fondly growing up, was that mm-hmm. before you know yourself being a coach, tutor, and, and UEFA A licensed candidate at the moment. Of course, you can break the game down into a few different phases: the attack phase, the defense phase in the two transitional phases. In the past, Mourinho was certainly a specialist in the counter-attacking phase, in that defence-to-attack transition. And I think back then, 10, 15 years ago, that gave weight to the narrative that you were a top, top coach in your ability to dominate one or two of the phases. I think we've got to the stage now nowadays where you look at the likes of even Graham Potter at Brighton, Brendan Rodgers at Leicester, 
Mm. Um, Pochettino, of course, now PSG, Klopp, Tuchel, all of these top-level coaches are generalists as regards all the phases. They have a plan with the ball, without the ball, and for both transitions. And I think it's that combination along with man management. You see how the likes of uh, Graham Potter doing a master's degree in emotional intelligence, how Brendan Rodgers gets the best out of his Leicester players. Tuchel, who's just gone into Chelsea, and it's like he's managing bloody three or four NBA teams at once with the size of Chelsea squad, everybody getting equal playtime, so on and so forth. I think that's where there's a huge kind of gap between... Tottenham and the rest in terms of how they're coached and managed. I don't know, would you agree with that, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I think if you go back, you know, you have to respect Jose Mourinho as one of the oh, game's great yeah. coaches uh, and innovators as well. You know, he he was a pioneer in the, in the development, it was not development, sort of implementation of tactical periodization, um, which was groundbreaking at the time. Uh, and tactical periodization is about integrating your your plan for all four phases into into your training process. And you know this back way back when when he was when he you know was at Porto and, and then came to the Premier League. This was like beyond you know anyone. You know, and obviously you know, if you look back at this Porto team, there's some really grainy footage. He, you know he, he certainly wasn't that sit back and counter attack coach back then. He would have a plan for. The Portuguese league, and then in the bigger Champions League games, he would play as we've come to know. You know, what about you know who he is? But it was there was a big focus on opposition analysis. So if you go back to like two thousand and four, two thousand and five, when he came to the Premier League, I mean, if you look at sort of the the you know with the <laughs> with respect to some of them, some of the coaches he was up against, you know, this was not a strong field of competition. He must have found that season so easy. Because he came in with a, a completely new way of training, which is backed up by you know the, the players at the time, particularly English players who are used to playing a bit of five aside and and just you know smashing the ball at goal and training and then you know and, and doing you know the, no, nothing else. And then they suddenly had these massive reports from AVB, who was his assistant back then, and it had a completely transformative effect. And if you remember back then, it completely caught out. Uh, Ferguson and Wenger, who for themselves who had come in and you know brought you know advances into the game, and they were caught out by this guy coming in. So he was hugely at the sort of vanguard of the development of the game. But you know, time waits for no one, and you know he, you know, the football you know moves on, and I'm not stupid enough to think that he doesn't know that. But whether it's just it's got to the a point where football has developed so far and, and he, he he's he's just not coping with the with the, you know not not caught up with it and yeah I, I don't know it, it seems such a basic thing to say and you think anyone with half a, a brain should understand that and I'm sure he does and I'm sure he does look at himself think at the moment because he knows his team isn't doing well he's covering it up by talking about mentality attitude but I'm sure he's looking at it going why are we not doing what I'm saying you know I say we should be doing so I really don't know you know I'd love to see his his, his training now, what what goes on in it, um, and how it how it uh, contrasts with others. But yeah, you know, you look at the the top coaches now; they are, as you said, you know, like Graham Potter has got a masters in uh, was it emotional intelligence, something like that. Yeah. Just yeah, you know, they are they are masters of understanding people and um, uh, getting the best out of people, and uh, obviously the tactical side of the game and. Yeah, the, the four phases. I mean, it's very difficult to be dominant in all four phases. I think the best teams are, you know, are obviously good in all phases, but dominant in probably two of them. So you're looking at, you know, Man City and the moment, obviously very dominant in with the ball. Obviously, we know that. And then their defensive transitions are, uh, you know, a lightning quick also with a, you know, a dash of tactical fouling in there. But um, yeah, you know, it's, it's a really interesting one and it'll be interesting to see how people like Guardiola himself, will he ever become sort of outdated? Um, you, you know, I think people were suggesting that <laughs> recently and then they've gone in this, this crazy run. So it's an interesting one. I don't think, I think coaches at the top level, they have a very short shelf life. I think particularly in the UK, we have this, the sort of the myth of Ferguson and Wenger where 
every coach who comes in should be aiming to be there for 20 years. And I think, no, we've got a cycle of project managers now who've got three or four years in them who build something, they reach a peak. And I think managers should be smart and go, right, I've done my, done my bit. And this goes for Pochettino as well. No one wanted Pochettino to go. I'm still sad about going. But if you look at it, at the end of that 18-19 season, we got to Champions League final. And the team, the, all the metrics, and just watching the team, we were declining somewhat. If he had left then, and then Tottenham brought in another project manager, an Nagelsmann or a Marco Rose, um, Graham Potter, something like that, to continue that work, but just refresh it again with a team who's used to playing that style, I think, I think that would have been far more preferable. But um, it's an interesting one. And maybe Jose just needs to, to go away, go to another team who embraces him more, more thoroughly and maybe maybe he can enjoy success again. And, you know, but at the moment, it's just not happening. I suppose coming up with a few excuses for Mourinho, could you say, <laughs> could you say the current demise, I suppose, in Tottenham's recent form is a culmination of factors, be it the natural ending cycle of Potch's players and the COVID jammed schedule and the absence of fans from what we've seen can be a raucous atmosphere at the new stadium at the new White Hart Land. Absolutely. I think if you look at what he's had to deal with in terms of when he came into a squad that was failing is a strong word, but a team which had just run its course. A group of players which hadn't seen a huge deal of you know refreshing in terms of you know, the squad for quite a while um, who'd given everything. They'd left absolutely everything on the pitch for Tottenham for eventually only memories and no actual silverware. So, yeah, you know, he had to galvanise that. And you've got some players like Harry Kane who are just single-minded, determined to do, you know, to, to just perform at their best <clears throat> consistently. But even he was carrying injuries, his, his sort of form declined a bit, but I think that was more down to injuries rather than sort of his being just, you know, uh, worn out at the end of a cycle. Um, so, yeah, he, he had that. Then, obviously, he had COVID. Actually, COVID it sort of helped him in a little way, and obviously trying to detach it from the horrific circumstances around the pandemic. But because we were suffering a major injury crisis, Kane and Son were both out, and then COVID came in, and it gave him a few month, extra months to work on team styles. So I, I don't really use it too much of an excuse. And we came back, we were a little bit better after the break. Kane was back. Kane actually also benefited from the break because he came back fitter and fresher. Um, yeah, you know, so I do understand those excuses. With the stadium, I think, to be honest, I think if, if fans were in the stadium, I think Jose might already be gone because some of these performances at home to these teams would have been unacceptable there would have been like a toxic atmosphere at the ground. If you're losing and playing in your own half against Arsenal, deliberately. Is there anything he would have changed tack? He would have changed style to accommodate the fans, knowing that. May have done. I, you know, he's, um, I mean, he has tried to change style a few times before, but he, get, he does get spooked by certain results. So we were playing okay this season, you know, then it's like, okay, we're, we're, we're getting there. I can sort of see where we're starting to go now. And then we were three and up against West Ham playing very, very well, threw it away. But, you know, it was a, on the balance of play, we still deserve to win that game. And it almost seemed that that game, it spooked him. Yes, we had a run of difficult fixtures coming up. So I think he would have played more defensively anyway. But I think that spooked him. We saw it a few years ago when, when Tottenham, when, when Pochettino's Tottenham beat Jose 5-3 at White Lane one of Harry Kane's breakup performances. And that was a season, 14-15, where Chelsea ended up winning the league. But there was a conscious effort to be a little bit more aggressive and attacking earlier that season. Then Spurs win 5-3, and suddenly Jose went, no, 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 we're going to sit back, play play my way, and we're going to go and win the league. And yeah, fair enough, you know, it, it worked. Um, but he does get to get spooked by these games. But yeah, I think if you put fans in the stadium, I don't think it would have helped too many you know, too, you know, often these games because yes, I think they might have thought, okay, we're we're willing to to watch us have fifteen percent of the ball against Man City, but against an Arsenal team that are below us, you know, in the league playing like that, when we've got accustomed to going and going at them and beating them quite regularly under Pochettino, particularly at home and playing really really well against them, I don't think the fans would have accepted that one bit. 
Um, I think there would have been a pretty toxic atmosphere, you know. Um, so, yes, Mourinho will always have excuses. And whether he uses excuses publicly to uh, take the heat off, his, you know, off himself or, or whatever, that's fair enough. Maybe he does know the real reasons things are going wrong. But I, I'm not particularly willing to, to indulge in those excuses when he's at 18 months and we've not seen any great progression. And you've seen other teams in that time, in 18 months, see massive improvements um, mm. in performance and style um, with the same constraints. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not particularly willing to, to, <laughs> to engage in the excuses. <laughs> and if I were to put you on the spot, Chris... And to hand you the reins at your beloved Tottenham, I mean, would there be any particular style of play or formation which you would wish to employ, given the current players at your disposal? Good question. Um, with the current current players, I mean, I think you've got all the ingredients, particularly in midfield and, and forward positions, to play a sort of positional, progressive possession game. Similar to Pochettino, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to go deviate too far from that. I'm very, very influenced by him. So, in terms of my coaching now, the team I coach, um, you know, that's the sort of model we're looking for. So, to be very, very good with the ball, very progressive, not, not particularly like um, focused too much on sort of deep circulation of the ball. Pretty aggressive because we want that counter press to be really, really aggressive. So, if we're trying to progress the ball a lot, we know we're going to lose the ball a lot, but that's fine if we've got a good counter-press. And they're the two sort of phases we really want to be dominant in. And that's why I want them to top them right now. Um, there's a lot of chat, you know, that team, you know, people to re replace Jose and people are suggesting like Ralph Hasenhull, who I think is a fantastic coach. But I don't think that style of play, it, 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 I, I love watching it, but I think that, you know, his whole style of play is against the ball and, and the press, you know, pressing and not a huge amount of, uh, of work on the ball. I think, you know, that, that's probably underselling him a little bit there, but that, that's from what I, I've read about him and, and, and sort of watched on the pitch as well. So I want, you know, I, I'd, you know, for our next coach, and if it was me, I would want that sort of playing with the ball and uh, getting our, um, our most creative, brilliant players on it as much as possible. And, Yes, you can look at our defence and think, okay, Chris, are you really going to put Eric Dyer or uh, Toby Adam around on the halfway line now, you know, with the ball? And I'd say, yeah, I'd just accept a few complete, you know, <laughs> you know absolute, uh, you know, calamities, because I think that would happen. Um, but I think the trade-off would be Harry Kane close to the opposition goal um, and human son close to the opposition goal, Gareth Bale there. But the, the one player that I would be, I'm not going to, I wouldn't say build the team around, but would always be very, very much at the centre of things would be Delhi, who I think has been unfairly sort of ostracised. I think he's a fantastic player. I think with Delhi, a 4-2-3-1, where he's the number 10, I think that is that that is sort of the model I'd go with. Uh, you know, the, and... I mean, it would look very much like Pochettino, <laughs> where I would have you know Hjoibier and Dombele as, as sort of the back of midfield, and Hjoibier would be the be the player breaking up play and playing simple, so the sort of Eric Dyer slash Wanyama role from a few years ago, and then you've got Dombele who is taking the ball forwards, dribbling forwards with the ball, passing progressively to Delhi between the lines. I'd also have Giovanni Lo Celso as a sort of very almost an inverted sort of. Uh, right attacking midfielder um, and then uh, you know Oria who I think we should be replacing but as a sort of overlapping right back and then obviously Sun wide in the left and uh, Reggie on the left back uh, with Kane up front that, that is my sort of that's how I see things at the moment and I appreciate there are other ways of playing but that's how I would look to do it but yeah as a coach I want the ball you know, I want control of you know, of, uh, of you know of the ball and and controlling transitions. So, you know, I just you know, where even if we're you know, we're not setting pressing traps to to win the ball back high, just if we are pressing to force the opposition to play long, straight back to our defence, and we build again, and we sort of this kind of vice like grip on the opponents, which we got used to. And I was very very sort of inspired and and. Uh, you know, I've studied like quite a lot of how I want to do that. So that's why I want to play with Tottenham. Um, 
I accept any sort of progressive model of play. If we brought in Hasenhall, that would be fine for Jesse Marsh at, at Salzburg, that kind of, that the, the, the high octane um, Red Bull style of play, fantastic. But if I was to be, you know, ultra selective, someone like Julian Nagelsmann, who, yes, he's, he is a Red Bull, but he has more of a positional idea with the ball. I think that's, that's absolutely what I think I would want to do with this team and what I think the team, uh, the, the players we've got needs. And then, you build from there and then you, you fill in players who maybe don't fit that, that model of play from either the academy or smart recruitment, um, which I think we need a little bit of. And I think with the summer transfer window on the horizon, of course, and your own work fairly prominent with Inside Market, are there any interesting players, perhaps from a data perspective, which you would be interested in seeing at joining yourself at Spurs? I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to go away from the question. I'll look at a couple of players in a minute, but I think this transfer window is really important. I think I suspect we're going to see one big departure. I don't think it'll be Kane. I could, I could see us moving on Sun for a lot of money, which I, mean, I love Sun. I think he's brilliant. I wouldn't be disappointed if he stayed, but I, I, if we got a big, big wedge of money for him, I'd, I'd, I would entertain that aspect and, and reinvest it in the squad and try and build a young, vibrant team again that, that, you know, obviously it depends if Jose's here or not, which I'm getting the idea that he might not be next season. Um, and this is the most important thing. And look at my you know, recruitment work. I can sit here and try and recruit players for how I think Tottenham should play. But if, if I'm going in and saying, right, we want someone like Max Aaron to write back, Jose Mourinho is going to be like, no, no, he's, he's, you know, five foot nothing. He's just going to get dominated in the air, which he does even in the championship. So, I mean, and this, this builds into the recruitment work I do when we talk with clubs and say, what is your style of play? What is your profile of player? And then we work from there. So that's the important thing, right? So, you know, it's, it's difficult to talk about who we should, who we should sign in terms of, is Joseph still going to be here? Is he not going to be here? Um, but, you know, I think we need, a great centre-back. Um, I th- I'm really excited about Joe Roden and um, Tanganga, Tanganga, who played a right-back the other day, but I think long-term he's a centre-back. I think they're two really talented players. I think Eric Dyer's right, you know, races run um, at Tottenham. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't see him at the moment you know, improving to an extent where we can be comfortable with him first choice. And same with Davidson Sanchez, got one foot on loan, who I'd be interested in bringing back, but Jose Mourinho would never play one foot as a centre-back. Um, so Alderweireld, I guess, is at the end of his, uh, you know, needs to be sort of phased out. So we definitely need, I think, a really good dominant centre-back. And there's a few out there. We've been linked with Demoral, uh, Juve and uh, Skriniar Inter, who data-wise they 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 don't jump out the page on me. Um, I can't say I've watched them extensively to form a completely solid opinion. One player I'm, I'm really huge on is uh, Taps Over at Bayer Leverkusen. I think his his data looks incredible. I remember watching him before he moved to Leverkusen and was very very high on him. And you know, it was the kind of player I think Tottenham should have been after. And there's so many players like this who I look at and think. Oh, if that's the kind of player. Quick like, one to bring, it, quick one to bring it, up. Speaking of Leverkusen, yes, I saw the players for Peter Bosch yeah. got sacked today. He did. What would you make of him rocking up at White Hart Lane? Oh, he's uh, he's very very aggressive and attacking, and I think has big issues with transitions. Uh, I mean, we'd attack. I'm sure we'd score a bucket load of goals, but. I remember Pochettino dismantling that <laughs> when we played Dortmund in 2017. Um, I, he wouldn't be my first choice, but listen, I enjoy entertaining football. If, if uh, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, but Daniel Levy's never heard of this guy. You know, Daniel <laughs> is, uh, you know, I think we'll get on to Levy in a bit, but that's not going to happen. But yeah, really love Tapso, but obviously up in Meccano at Red Bull Leipzig. Uh, really impressed with him. Canate next, you know, who, who also plays with him, had some injuries, but he's also talented. So I, I think we do need to invest in the market. But Tap Sober is just a player I just I just really love. And 
I always, I always talk about him because I, I remember speaking the, like highly of him before he moved to bias. I was like, yes, he's one, he's one of mine, you know. <laughs> and it is, the scouts and rec- recruit people love to say, oh, I discovered this player. He didn't discover them. Every, uh, any scout worth their money knows they're good, but, but we still hang on to them anyway. Yes, yeah, this, this, is, my, this is my guy. But yeah, if you look at his data, it's, it's, it's huge and very aggressive and very good on the ball, progressive passing, uh, dribbling, carrying the ball. Yeah, he's he's my kind of defender, so I would be uh, he'd be certainly someone up on the list. But again, these guys are expensive. We should be the the team who can find them before they go there. But I think as we talked about earlier in the program, yeah, in the podcast, um, we've got this idea now of our profile in the game where we now watch them go to sort of you know other clubs to check if they can do it in the top five leagues or whatever, and then and then go and buy them. Which could cost cost a lot of money. I guess, yeah. We there was one case of that this year, though, Chris. As well, it's funny that you bring it up. Was um, I watched a lot of La Liga last mm-hmm. season? Saw Mohamed Salisu, uh, Salisu at Real Valladolid. Yeah, thought he would get unbelievable game time this year at Southampton. Just hasn't transpired. What I suppose the football housing hotel wants him playing at the back. He's really struggled. Seen him yeah. going in there at centre back and left back. Um, there's no doubt in my mind Tapsova would adapt to playing Premier League football. I mean, his rise from playing second or third division in Portugal all the way mm-hmm. up to Bundesliga at the moment has been exponential. But it's, I mean, these conversations, it, it's nearly April. These conversations about who Tottenham and all the rest of the Premier League elite are bringing in next season are surely already happening. So yes. in, in doing your due diligence as a recruitment consultant, do you think it's feasible, quite feasible, Tottenham would have a plan for next season with Mourinho and without him in terms of recruitment? That's a good question because you could imagine uh, Jose walking into the recruitment office and going, what's that list you've got there? And I'm like, no, no, nothing, nothing. It's, like, it's actually a list of everything yeah, so that's, that's a good question. But this, this goes back to what club do you want to be? And a club that has a, a, a solid philosophy how you want to play, what coaches are going to replace the coach you've got at the moment who play a similar style. If you have all that in, in place, then your list, if you want to sign, doesn't really change. But, and I guess if you look at some of our recent signings, Joe Roden, like a, a comfortable, progressive centre-back who hasn't really got that much game time, played against Villa the other day. Uh, Steven Bergwijn, a talented sort of wide forward, there actually were more in the, you know, what I was looking for. These are, you know, there's a bit of risk attached to them because they've not played at the highest level. Um, but they've they've struggled under Jose. But it's no, no real surprise why, why they've struggled. I mean, Steven Bergwijn, I didn't, don't think he wanted to join Tottenham to play as sort of an auxiliary fullback, which is what he'd done. And then watch Kane and Son <clears throat> have two counter-attacks a game and <clears throat> it's got one goal and then... People say, oh, Stephen Bergwijn's not very good. So, well, he's not being used to his to his talents. So that's an interesting one. But um, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I'd like to get back to what we've done, I guess, a little bit in the past. I mean, our recruitment's always been a little bit haphazard because Daniel Levy has far too much say in that. But yeah, you know, players like... You know, I would just like to identify these players who are excellent before we have to go and sign them from another big five which we have, you know, with Roden and Bergwijn, we haven't done that. But, you know, I I guess if we did go and try and sign the next, like, taps over on the next Upamakano, who costs 15, 20 million rather than 60 million, there's a risk associated with that. And there's also time for them to bed in, improve and develop, where I think the Spurs fans are getting really anxious to, to have success and get back in the Champions League and, and and, uh, and win trophies, so it is a it is a difficult one. I accept, and so, but yeah, I I I thought I'd bring up Tapso because I, I really really like him. And in forward areas, you know, you've got uh, I think we've got a bit of Deadwood to shift. I think I said I would not really say of Deadwood, but I think some might you know might possibly move on. I don't know where you know why I think that because there've been no real rumours of that. <coughs> but um, you know, we've got Lucas. So he's had a bit of a a good spell at the moment, but he's, he's still quite average. Lamella is not, you know, certainly not the difference maker that, that you maybe want. 
So I might be looking to bring in another sort of uh, forward player. Carlos Vinicius doesn't look like he's gonna gonna stay um, you know, with his loan, even though he scored the other day. So I think there's a sort of a, a forward who can play through the middle and wide, possibly someone like Daniel Malon, who has a bit of time to uh, to adapt rather than being chucked in at the same time. Um, a player like that, who's you know, I think wouldn't cost huge amounts. He'd still cost a fair wedge, but um, I think has 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 the upside there. And so I think someone you know we could look at him. Obviously, there's Pedro Neto Wolves, who's been doing really well. I, I, I think as a replacement for Sun, if he went, would be a fantastic signing. All these guys' data is, is pretty good. Uh, they're young and they've got upside. You look, you look at like someone like Sun who we brought in. We nearly sold him in the, the first season. He didn't, yeah, he was good, but he wasn't fantastic. So it sometimes takes time. But back then, Spurs were, were different. I mean, we had time to bed to get Midsun in for a season. So, you know, I, I, I sound a bit confused about the whole thing. So I, I, I uh, and I've gone on a bit of a ramble here, but yeah, it is a difficult one to mix. Do we buy players who we absolutely know who are going to be fantastic? Well, you don't know, but could be as sure as, as, as possible. Or do you go back to taking a few more risks in the transfer market and, and building up a young, vibrant team again who may take a season to, to sort of ignite under a progressive manager? Um, and just sorry, the last one I, I've missed out, I think, We've got very good potential in central midfield with Huebier, Dombali, Lo Celso, all, all good ages, very, very talented, but haven't got a huge amount behind them. I think, yeah, I think Sissoko is, it should never have been, it could come to the, the fact that he's played so many minutes for Tottenham. Um, and the fact he was sort of a linchpin for our midfield for so long showed where we really went wrong. Um, I think Harry Winks is, is is more than a functional sort of bench player um, and situation player, but I'd like to see. I think I think Kyobia needs some more cover. I think we need a player who can play a six, but also a more sort of progressive, like six eight, you know, in midfield. So someone like Anguissa from Fulham, who I think would probably cost quite a lot of money now because I think people are starting to recognise his talent. Same with Ibusuma at Brighton. Um, two players on, on massive fans, and I absolutely love Anguissa. I think, I think if you put Anguissa in in a top team Champions League level, people will start going, "Where'd this guy come from? This guy's fantastic, and it's like he's always been like this. His data is ridiculous at Fulham." Um, uh, uh, yeah, I, I would, I would love to, to to see him play for Tottenham, and I think a midfield where you could have like Hoybier and Gisa and Dombali and Lo Celso in it, with just offers so many possibilities. Um, but again, do we have the money to, to 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 fund these players if we don't sell someone like Sun? So yeah, it's going to be an interesting summer. But I think the main sort of uh, piece of recruitment might well be in the the managers <laughs> the chair and the dugout. And. I suppose to close then, Chris, what does success, what constitutes success in Spurs this season and next? Given that we're near the end of the season, it's more than likely where we see Tottenham both finishing. But next season, what could Spurs hope for? Well, I mean, short term is, is quite an easy one. I think, you know, if we were to turn the season around and managed to sneak into the top four, that would be, I would consider that from here, from where we are now as a success in the short term. Obviously winning the League Cup would be be good. It's going to be, it'll be so sort of um, uh, weird winning a title with no one, winning a trophy with no one in the ground. The thought of me as a fan not being able to go and watch it hurts. So I really don't know what I think about it. Um, but winning that, you know, where we talk about long term, and Pochettino got a lot of stick for sort of saying stuff like this. Like winning a League Cup is not going to change the course of Tottenham. Winning the League Cup in 2008 did not change the course where Tottenham were going. And even if you go back and watch that final beat Chelsea, you know, you, the, the commentary at the end of the game was like, is this the new era for Tottenham? You know, is this going to be the start of it? And it wasn't. You know, and what it, what it was that our improvement over the next like, 12 years since then in terms of our league performance, has been smart management off the pitch, which has built a new stadium, which has built an, a new training facility, which has put money into the academy, which has developed players like Harry Kane 
where we did, you know, at points of, you know, I said our recruitment's been a bit scattergun, but it's generally been around signing young players with high potential and then selling them on. And, you know, whilst a lot of fans say we've not won anything, we've still seen sort of improvements in the squad. And I think that's just what I want in the future. I want to remain competitive. I want... I want to be going as a fan to consistently big games. I want to be going to Champions League games to, to you know, to go, trying to go deep into cups. And I think if you get that process right of good recruitment, enjoyable playing style, where, you know, where people talk about Tottenham, the profiles built, entertaining players to watch, entertaining teams to watch. I think the, the trophies will, will follow at some point. And I think we've been unlucky not to get them in the so far so for me it's not saying success in Tottenham is winning the league winning trophy because I'm sure we will see that at some point in the not too distant future but success for Tottenham is not for me is budgeting our future on some short-term success winning even even a league title I mean Christ if we won a league title I'd, I'd go missing for days but if there was nothing after that that's not success and you, you want Tottenham to be there and thereabouts all the time and yeah, it was just it was just so good being a Spurs fan between 2016 and 2019 because you were consistently going to massive games, knowing that you can beat these teams, knowing you know, that you can you know play Real Madrid and you could beat them, beating you know, beating the top six teams quite regularly. That was success for me as a club, and I guess I thought it was success then because I always believed the trophies would follow, and I still think they will. And you know, we got to the Champions League final. That would have been if we'd have won that, then. You know, everything that had gone in the past would have been thoroughly vindicated. So I think, yeah, I, I, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a wishy-washy answer, but I think just smartening up in a few aspects, like like basically outsourcing a lot of the decision-making from Daniel Levy. Any football decision-making, take it away from Daniel Levy, get proper football operations in place um, and let him manage the business side. And I really think, we, you know, we can pick up a few trophies and a couple of big trophies in the next few years. Um, and that would be success, you know, that for me, you know, if we're just consistently playing in the Champions League, consistently playing big games, entertaining me and, um, and uh, yeah, it's, yeah, sorry for a bit of a wishy-washy answer to end the pod, but that, that success for me is just being, being competitive in, in the big tournaments consistently. Oh, that's a good answer. Um, Chris, it's always fascinating to get an insight into enemy lines. <laughs> Um, should, anyone wish, should anyone wish to connect with you on social media, where's best to find you and your work? Um, so if you enjoy reading lots of miserable tweets about Tottenham, you can follow me at, at Chris Somersell. Um, so that's uh, Chris and then S-U-M-M-E-R-S-E-L-L um, on there. I, you know, I, I share some of my football work on there a bit le- less recently because a lot of my sort of work is in-house now in terms of recruitment, but I try to share the odd kind of thing. Uh, I write for Scouted Football, which I should mention them because they're, they're really good and give them a follow and, and buy their handbooks. I write for them. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where you can find me. Um, but it'd be good to connect. Please, you know, message me and if you, if you want any help or you know, advice in coaching or recruitment, anything like that, happy to help. Uh, but yeah, thank you for having me. It's great. Yeah, great having you on, Chris. Um, I believe we could do a whole new podcast and join some radio and Daniel Levy maybe another time. But uh, we'll have to. <laughs> the all or nothing special. <laughs> Chris, top man. Pleasure having you on. Cheers, mate.